All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Mo, you guys can head on out. All right. Heavy topic right off the uh, right off the start here this morning. And uh, if you're here, let me just say we're glad you're here. If you're here and your uh, spouse is on our retreat and you're still here, good for you, because <laughs> I know that it was a little more effort this morning than usual. So we're glad that you guys are here, and we we praying that they'll have a safe return back. All right, so the last uh, last week we started a new series called The Elephant in the Room. Let me tell you why we're doing this series and what our, what our purpose is for today. So there are certain issues that come up, and the church will talk around them. We'll talk about other things. We'll reference them. We won't actually talk about the issue at hand. However, the rest of the world is, and if you are looking around what's going on in culture and politics and uh, media, entertainment even, you will find uh, a lot of people are talking about the topic of racism. So the church uh, needs to talk about it too. Now we have kind of made a point over the years of some topics staying away from because they were so emotional and uh, just because, you know, honestly following Christ sometimes means we have to step outside of the big issues facing the world because the world is different from the kingdom of God. However, there are times we've got to recognize where our place is. And as Christians, one of the things we're called to is being salt and light in the world. In order to do that, that is a preserving of the world to point out when good is good and evil is evil. And over the few weeks before we started this, we talked a little bit about what our nature is as people. And if you'll remember, the original sin came down to the fact not that uh, Adam and Eve ate from the tree and the knowledge of good and evil. It was not that they were all of a sudden able to see what good and evil is. It was instead their ability to define what good and evil was to them. And as a result, from that moment on, not only did we have strife with God, we've had strife with each other. And we have chosen in our own hearts what is good and what is bad. And as a result, we have all kinds of terrible things happening in the world. So today we're going to be talking our our elephant in the room topic uh, that we sometimes try to ignore, especially a church like us that is primarily uh, not multi-ethnic. It's easy for us just to walk through life and to turn the channel and to think this doesn't apply to me. But the truth is... Uh, The issues of the heart are issues that you and I have to be aware of. And these same things that cause the root of what uh, we just watched, which is a a great movie called Freedom Riders. It's an older movie. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's a good movie. But it causes all kinds of problems within us. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be sticking... I'm going to try to stick to what I've, I've prepared. I've told Wayne that if he can keep up with slides, great. If not, I'm not sure where we're going to end up this morning. But I've got several things I want to share with you. There are some things I'm going to try to do. There are some things I'm not going to try to do. Some of you, uh, this may be a very you know, kind of fresh thing, although I'm not sure how that would be possible. But it's po- possibly a fresh thing for others. You are highly attuned to what's going on right now, both in culture, in the news, and in policy. Um, what I'm not going to try to do is, to, is talk to everything that offends every person because we can all be offended by many things. I'm also not going to try to address every single issue that has to do with racism. We don't have the time, and that's really not my goal here today. 
Finally, what I'm not going to try to do is I'm not going to try to give you political opinions on how you should vote and what you're supposed to think about these things. Our purpose as the church is not that we try to police the world. It is that we please our God. And so in order for us to do that, what I want to talk to you about is what does it mean to follow Christ in a world in which this is a very real thing affecting very real people. So I want to speak to you as followers of Jesus and, uh, and we're going to go through lots of different things, but we're not going to talk about every possible topic we could. We just don't have the time, and quite honestly, uh, we would need to bring someone else in to be exhaustive um, on this. As you notice, I've not experienced uh, a lot of racial uh, issues in my life. As I look around the room, probably most of you have not either, while some of you may have. Uh, so I have to speak not from personal experience but as a student, as someone who's paying attention and also is very concerned with what God says about this. All right. What is the history? Here's all I want to do. I'm just take you through some basic things. What is the history of this? And the, the truth is, is racism is an issue that is not confined to our nation. It's also not confined to our lifetime, nor the lifetime of our nation But racism has been an issue from the very beginning when Adam and Eve first ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Slavery has been an issue, the need for one nationality to overcome another, the desire for an ethnic group to wipe out another ethnic group has been raging in human history since it began. So we look through some of our more recent events that have happened in Many of our lifetimes, some of you, this has happened in your lifetime. In World War I, as a result of national pride trying to take over others, 8 million people have died. World War II, 52 million people have died. If you remember the Rwanda crisis that happened in the mid-90s, 800,000 members of the Tutsi tribe were killed by just another tribe, the Hutus, 800 thousand people were killed. We're not talking about being offended. We're talking about people losing their lives because they have decided that a group of people, for whatever reason, do not have the right to exist. And they should be wiped out. In Syria right now, there are, because of ethnic cleansing, 7 million people have been displaced and over 220,000 people have been killed. And just... Last month, or now it's May, it's hard to believe it's May, in March, Secretary of State John Kerry said that genocide is now being carried out by ISIS against Christians, Yazidis, and other Muslims. You know, this is an issue that the reason I want to talk to you about this is because it affects the way we see other people. While you may attend church with people that are like you and what your desires are for a style of worship or Uh, what it looks like to be in that kind of a church. You don't live in that world, right? You don't go to work in that world. You don't walk into a mall or a restaurant into that world. In fact, we live in a world that is growing increasingly multi-ethnic. But what happens when a people take on for themselves the desire to be better than others is eventually the need to push other people aside. And I will tell you that this is an issue that is not just something that 
we should talk about. This is an issue central not only to the heart of Jesus, but to the mission of Jesus. Because he spoke to those who were oppressed in any form. It's happening all over the world. In this example, talking about the Holocaust, is estimated that one of the most obvious terror tragedies uh, that have happened in recent history is the Holocaust, with 10 to 12 million Jews exterminated for no other reason other than the fact that they were Jewish. This is where the human heart goes when God is not there. This is what happens to us whenever we move off into the realm of, I will choose what is best for me. It's where we go when we decide that we are better than others. And what I would love to say is the church has consistently been on the side of the right throughout history, but that would not be true to history. Because there are times that even within the church, the church has propagated great evils against the world, all because we have chosen to elevate ourselves as sovereign in a world in which we are not sovereign. So, to kind of pull us into where we've been over the last few weeks, if we back up all the way to when we began to talk about God, the theology of God, and who God is, we discussed what we sometimes fail to apply in our lives is that God is king and God is sovereign, right? God created, God spoke, God breathed into Adam and Eve, He created them. God is sovereign. God is king. God gets what God wants. God has said, because we have chosen to disobey Him and sin, we must be judged. But He gave us His Son so that we could escape that judgment. And instead of us paying the penalty for sin, He put that all on Jesus, who bore it all on Himself And rose from the dead so you and I could be restored to our sovereign. And yet as we as Christians begin to say who is God and we begin to believe God is sovereign. Then it has to begin to change the way we see the world. So that you and I will subjugate our opinions for the opinion of an all-powerful, sovereign, all-loving God. When we start talking about racism... What we are saying is, God is not sovereign. People like me are sovereign. And not only do we have the right to rule over others, they are in our way. All that we're going to be talking about today, and quite honestly, many of the things we're going to talk about over this series will fall to this one issue. I'm kind of giving you, uh, you know, the, the cheat sheet here. It all comes down to who is sovereign in our lives. Because once we believe that there is sovereignty in God, it changes the way we live. Now, right now, we're hearing a lot about the fact that our nation is a Christian nation is being ripped from our Christian hands, right? We are a good nation that were founded on good principles. We have been the bastion and the standard for morality in the world since our inception as a nation. Yet our own history is, we all should know, is very mixed and dirty in this regard. As we look back over just not the last thousand years, not just 
the last few decades, but even in the last few months, we see that many in our nation can propagate great evil against others. If we look back into the time of the civil rights movement that some of you grew up in, I didn't grow up in it, but many of this happened just years before I was born. As we look back at the beginning of slavery that began to change the fabric, the moral fabric of our nation that was born out of freedom, we'll find that a lot of instances built up to where we are today and we allowed it to happen. In 1619, there was a Dutch ship. It's called the White Lion. It captured 20 enslaved Africans. It was built as a bat in a. It was built. Um, it was in a battle with a Spanish ship. They landed in Virginia in Jamestown. Their ship was damaged. They needed to be able to repair their ship. They did not have the resources to do it, and so in this moment was the first recorded time in which. Human lives were sold for goods so that they could repair their ship. That ship's name was the White Lion. Do you know the first slave owner himself was an indentured servant in America? His name was Anthony Johnson. He was one of the first African Americans to finish his service as an indentured servant. And he took another indentured servant and legally made him his slave. It's the first time that that happened. People began seeing this was wrong. This should change. This should not be the way our nation should go as early as 1777. When Vermont, as the first, they weren't a state at the time. They were the first territory to abolish slavery. In 1780, Pennsylvania... Followed suit was the first state to abolish it. It took almost a hundred years for the U.S. Supreme Court to rule that they would deny citizenship and constitutional rights to all black people, legally establishing the race as, and I quote, subordinate inferior beings, whether slave or freedmen. That's what our Supreme Court said of our Christian nation. 1963, we have the Emancipation Proclamation by President Lincoln. He freed all the slaves in the Confederacy. July 2nd, 1964, this is, listen to how our human nature works. 1964, President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This was nine years before I was born. I know that makes me old for some of you, makes me young for others. It was the most sweeping civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. It prohibited discrimination of all kinds based on race, color, religion, or national origin because racism is not just about skin color. That was July 2nd, 1964. Great, wonderful, sweeping, good thing that happened. One month later, August 4th of that same year, three civil rights workers, two white, one black, were arrested for speeding and in the middle of the night, the officers gave them to the Ku Klux Klan who were then who murdered them and then buried them in a dam. One month later. That's how human nature works when we are immune from the sovereign of God at work in our lives. That's what happens. 
we think, man, that, those were bad years. Those were bad times. June 17th, 2015, not quite a year ago, in Charleston, the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, a guy by the name of Dylan Roof opened fire after sitting through prayer, killed nine people in that congregation less than a year ago. He later said, was found to have said, he wanted to start a race war. That was his whole purpose. Now, I recognize that in the news today that um, offense is a top news story. I also recognize that there are many people who bring up racism at the drop of the hat, and there are many times that people use racism for their own desire other than true acts against true victims. I know all that. My goal is not to uh, make us feel terrible about the world, or, but what I want to do is make us have a realistic idea of what it means to live in this world and what does it mean to follow Christ in this world. We can do great evil against other people. We have done great evil against other people. Now, how do we, as the human race, get to this place? Because if you and I don't learn from past mistakes, we do repeat them. How do we get to this, this place? And I will tell you that if we are to strip away all of the emotional issues, if we are to strip away all of the things that are going on uh, in the debate, if we take away all the big voices that are clamoring for attention, if we are just to sit here and talk about how do we get here, what is the root cause, there are two root causes all found in original sin, and that is greed and self-promotion. Everything can be brought down to greed and self-promotion. Now, many of us in the room, if we're asked, do you harbor any ill will against people of another race? You would say no. But let me ask you this. Does anyone in the room suffer from greed and the need for self-promotion? Do we ever want to put ourselves over other people? Do we want people to look at us as better than them or better than others? Of course we do. We all do in some regard, in some way. Some of us, it's really kind of subtle. You know, we just, we want to be seen like we're nicer than everybody else, you know? So it's a good thing. It's a good thing you aspire to be, but still the need deep inside is I just want to be more better than others. Self-promotion and greed all comes from the need to determine what is good and evil. And whenever you have that place, when you are at the place to say, I get to choose, then you will come to the place eventually where you say, I am sovereign in my life and in the world. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. We all struggle with it. This is a part of what human nature is. This is where we have come. Now, as I've shared, I, you know, I can't speak to this from personal experience. For me, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't live in a life of racial tension and persecution. That's not where I live. That's part of the problem with having these conversations is when we haven't been able to experience these things ourselves, it's hard to talk about them because we don't really have a place of experience in which to speak. We do have other people who have lived there and have eloquently left us 
what it means to be in this place. In 1963, on April 11th, Martin Luther King was in Birmingham, Alabama. It was Good Friday of 1963. And they had planned a peaceful protest for the civil rights movement. He had already received an injunction from the sheriff at the time. His name was Bull Connor. Told them that they would be arrested if they tried to protest. So Martin Luther King went anyways. And they went right up to the police barricade, right where the police were in riot gear. And they knelt in front of them and they prayed. Well, he was immediately arrested. They were arrested, thrown in jail. And he was in jail for the next several days. The guards brought him the newspaper. At the time, was a Birmingham News and showed him a letter that had been written in the newspaper by pastors and Jewish rabbis condemning his actions. Now, that's kind of significant, isn't it? <laughs> It's kind of significant for a few reasons. For one, Christians are experienced with this type of thing. We celebrate it in the life of Moses. We talk about how God so hated slavery, he freed his people after they cried out to him in a fantastic, incredible way. And the Holocaust would forever change Jews in America and around the world. So this letter came out condemning him, saying you should have waited, you should have been patient, this is not your time, this is not something that should be addressed. Martin Luther King wrote a letter that has been widely published and has been incredibly popular, just simply called Letter from Birmingham Jail. This is what he said about this experience that people go through. It says, perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait, But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park, that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she's told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. When your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given their respected title, Mrs. He paints in that picture, the letter goes on and on, he paints in that picture what many of us, if not all of us, have never come anywhere close to experiencing. I remember how offended I got 
when I was a pastor in Maryland and I went to the far reaches of Maryland for an event and I walked in. At the time, I was doing a lot of swimming and I was trying to get in shape. That's the story of my life. Not swimming, trying to get in shape. I walked into Kmart because that's the only place I could find and I asked for goggles and it was so funny. I mean, it was funny and I was so offended at the same time. There were two black ladies that were there laughing at me, asking the question. I thought, this is so ironic, (laughs) laughing at me because of my accent. I don't have an accent. They said I had an accent. I don't have an accent. Those are the extent of my experiences. I don't have anything like these. So there are real people in the world that are hurting. I'm not going to assume that everybody dominating the news today is someone who is truly hurting. Many of the things that you're seeing on the news today are not things in which people are true victims, but people still want attention. It is the same need that we all have to be sovereign of our, our world, to overcome and to be looked at as supreme. Like many of the issues we're also going to talk about through this series, if you really want to know where the core problem is today, you can't just watch the news. And it's not just about the human heart of those bystanders, but instead you've got to follow the money, right? Racism is a, that's a, it's a good revenue earner for many people who will cry it in the drop of a hat. You'll find many of the things that we're going to talk about that are really pushing a lot of pain in the world. There is somebody behind them making a lot of money off of it. But what I want to focus on for us are those people that have truly been marginalized, who have truly been hurt, who have truly been pushed down, and have truly been treated that they are less than others. Now, all of you have probably been through middle school, so you know a little bit about what that feels like, right, middle schoolers? But there are others that this was their experience. And while things are changing here, this is the experience of still people around the world. This is what's happening in Syria. This is what's happening in Iraq. This is what's happening around the world right now. It's not just about history that we've overcome. This is what is happening in the human heart because this is where the human heart goes when they choose to be the sovereign. In the church, what's unfortunately true, there always have been some who will use faith to further their own personal goals instead of a sovereign God's goals. And that is what happened in this letter to Martin Luther King or letter written, published in the Birmingham News. Their goal was something other than what God's goal was, because God's goal is freedom for all people. So let's do this. I've shared a lot of stuff with you. I told you we're going to talk about four primary things in each of these sermons. One is, what is the issue? That's the issue. Number two is, what does the Bible say about this? If we go back and... We look at what Scripture says. We read Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of the boundaries in their dwelling places. Yet they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him 
and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. Isn't it incredible that we all come from the same place? That God differentiates people not based on the things we differentiate people. He simply differentiates people that are pursuing him or not pursuing him. And that's really it. He doesn't differentiate in any other way. And the offer for those who are not pursuing him is always, I'm here, I'm, I'm here, follow me. If we go back and we read through Genesis, what we'll find is that everyone living on the, the world today descends from one family. Do you know what family that is? Noah. If you believe what Scripture says about what happened in Genesis, everyone was killed save Noah and his family. Everyone else came out of that family. Now, God told Noah and his family, he said, I want you to go out and I want you to spread out, go throughout the world. And as you go throughout the world, I want you to populate the world and I want you to fill the world. This is my this is my challenge. This is my command. This is my instruction to you. Go out into the world, spread out and fill it up. Well, it took us a while to do that, but we're getting there, right? However, the people that descended from Noah decided, well, we like each other. We don't want to split up. There's power in numbers. Let's stick together. And the same issue that we deal with now is the same issue they dealt with then. And that is the desire to overrule a sovereign God and say, we are sovereign in our lives. We will choose to do what we want to do. And they decided to stay. And what we find is the greatest architectural uh, event in all of Scripture that would ever happen in all of time. Because people decided not to spread out and fill the earth. They decided to stick together. We read about that in Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is what it says. And this is how we get to the place where we are so differentiated by distance and by location and environment in which we live. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, which I think would be great personally. I have a hard time understanding deep southern dialects as well as northern dialects. I would love for us at least to all have the same language. That's what was happening at this time. Verse 2 says, As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, listen to what they said, this is important. It says, Come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the or top in the heavens and let us make a name for who ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth which is what God told them to do and the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built and the lord said behold they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do Because God knows the path towards personal sovereignty leads to very destructive places. This is the only beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. 
Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the beginning of what would become different nationalities. And as these nationalities grew over generations, over generations, over generations, this is where we see all the intricacies of all the changes in people, in language, in skin color, in culture, which God wanted because God loves variety. God could have said, I want you all the same. And instead, he said, I want you to be different. Celebrate the diversity in other people. Let me ask you this, you guys in high school and middle school. What would it be like in school if, if you were celebrated by everyone rather than put down by a group you don't fit in? That'd be awesome. Adults, wouldn't it be great if it ended in high school? All right? We just get better at getting away from it. We form groups of friends and relationships that we can avoid most of that behavior most of the time. That's how it started, because God loves variety. God loves to see variety in his creations. As we shared in human nature, God created us in his image, and one of the ways in which God created us in his image was to be creative. It's one of the most beautiful gifts God gave us, the ability to be creative. Look at art, look at colors, look at landscape. Look at all the different regions of the world, how God created. He doesn't want everything to look the same. The reason we seek for things to look the same is because we seek for all things to look like us because we have placed ourselves in the position of sovereignty above God. And they've struggled with that from the very beginning. How should we respond as a church? Well, I will tell you that uh, you and I cannot fix this situation in the world. We can't preach the right sermon, sing the right songs, dress the right way, and have the right ethnic mix within the congregation and fix this problem. Because this is a problem of the heart that only God can fix. We can, however, make sure our hearts have put God in the place where he belongs instead of ourselves. So how should we respond as a church? Anywhere there is injustice, the church should always respond with love. Anywhere there's injustice. This is only one example of injustice in the world. Everywhere it happens, we should be the first responders in love. James chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Partiality is just another word for the exact same thing. Here are some some of my thoughts, and as I have already admitted, others are much better to speak to this than me. Number one, as a church, how do we move forward for this, knowing that we can't fix the problem ourselves, is we do have to first recognize that we do have a part in the history of this problem. The church has contributed to this problem. 
They've done that because they've had goals of grandeur for their ministries in a culture that valued segregation. And so they did what they needed to get the favor of the culture. We need to recognize that that is not the whole story of the church. The church was also there to rescue. The church was also there. Christians were there to fight for freedom. To take those who were about to be killed and to get them out. To show love at times they needed to be loved. And to give them a home when they needed a home. To give food when food was needed. You know, there are places that the church behaved beautifully as the bride of Christ. But there are places that the church did not. We need to recognize that. And that we can at any time put ourselves back in sovereign. Position of sovereign over God. I think it's also important that we recognize how important oppressed people are to Jesus. Luke chapter 4 is one of my favorite places in Scripture. It is where Jesus is reciting a prophecy that he himself is fulfilling. This is where he gives such a clear picture of his heart for people around the world. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now much of what Jesus is saying that he's going to provide this for is through salvation, not by destroying every bad institution on the planet. That won't happen until he returns. But what he is saying is the oppressed and the captive, they are the people that he is here for. Therefore, if he is sovereign in our lives, that is who we should be for. Now, this can be played out in many different ways, not just whenever it comes to skin color, but what about different religious groups? I remember growing up in a very conservative environment in which there were many that condemned any religious group other than Christians. Now, I will tell you that my theology tells me there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. If you're a religious group and you think that you're going to get to heaven or get to God any way other than Jesus, we're going to disagree. However, I'm not going to persecute you because of it. That's one of the reasons that at Journey we have such, we don't, when we print our beliefs, we have some beliefs that are very rigid, that God is God, He is sovereign, that His word is inerrant, we can trust it, that we can be saved only through Jesus Christ. But there are many things that you and I will disagree with, and that's okay. You see, for followers of Jesus, unity is always the goal. And isn't it great that the church is the most unified group on the face of the planet? You don't know it'll take me seriously now, right? We're one of the most fractured people in the world. I mean, we separate ourselves based on how we dress. What color our choir robes are. We separate ourselves based on which version of scripture we teach from. We separate ourselves based on who's sitting in the congregation. And yet we are all children of the same living God. But what God says is, as my disciples, you should be unified. Unity is our goal. Not separation. 
So let me ask you this. Where in your life is there a person that you can build a bridge to? I try to teach our kids a hard lesson. I know it's hard because I tried to follow the same lesson growing up that if you see someone at school that is being picked on or belittled, then they are the person that you go to. You stand with them. You befriend them. I know it's hard because if you do that, it does not help your standing with the ones who like to pick on others. That is what Jesus did, and that's what he instructed us to do. We build bridges to those who are hurting. It's easy when we look at the news and we see there's a particular pastor that Scott and I were following when we first started Journey that has fully embraced this race thing going on right now, and he has taken it into places that are so destructive as while he builds up his own personal purse strings. And it is so frustrating to watch. It's easy to become cynical. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to say it's their fault. But fortunately, Jesus didn't say those things to us, right? He didn't say those things to us. Jesus says, even you, while you were dead in your sins, he would die for you. Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. And Jesus himself was criticized over and over for eating dinner with the wrong types of people. It's the exact same issue. He said, but that's who I'm here for. Unity is our goal. All right, let me try to finish this up. When we bow to the sovereignty of God, there will be no distinction between his followers. All right? We put distinction in. God does not. When we bow to a sovereign God, there is no distinction. Revelation 7 says, After this I looked and behold, this is John's uh, vision, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, including standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is a vision of heaven. People from all walks of life, from all races, from all different groups are going to be together in heaven under one sovereign God. It's a time that I look forward to. I don't know when it will happen. great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You and I as a church, when we respond, we must still be and fulfill our role as salt and light in the world. The church has, in the past, stood for what was right, even when people were angry about it. We have stood with those that were oppressed because that's where Jesus stood. And we have to continue to do that. 
It's harder today because of media and the money behind the movement. It's harder today because we're not really sure where that group is. We're not really sure who's really being oppressed. We're not really sure where the best place to go help is. Which is why we continually say Christians should be the most educated people on the planet. I don't mean you should have the, high, the most number of degrees. I mean you should be the most observant about what's going on in the world. Because we're concerned about other people. In that same letter from Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King said this about the church and its role at that time. And it speaks to our role at this time too. It says... There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. How's that for a prophecy? That's where we live. That's where the church has gone. And that's where we can't stay. I love this. I love this uh, optimistic phrase of what the church is meant to be. This is what it means to be salt and light. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. You know what a thermostat does? It helps to control the temperature. A thermostat, whether it's for your heat and air or whether it's for the coolant in your car, helps control. The temperature. We're so involved and we're there sharing love and being involved in the issues that when something happens, we're there helping to control its effect on society because God is sovereign. No, you and I can't do that alone, but that is why the Holy Spirit lives within us when God is sovereign in our lives. Here's what I want to finish up with. The fourth thing I said that we would discuss is what if I struggle with this? The truth is there are like many things... There are issues that when you are, you are brought up in this kind of a, a, an environment, if you're brought up in a hostile environment towards other people, if you're brought up into a, a racist or just a you know, person who thinks they're better than everybody else, when you're brought up in that and you grow up in that, it changes you on a developmental level. And you can't just hear a sermon and decide, well, I won't do that anymore. It's one of the reasons that every generation gets a little bit better as we change the way we bring up our kids to hopefully we're reaching the point where our kids will finally say, why would anybody ever think of doing that to another person? Now that's not ever going to happen until Jesus returns because if that could have happened, it would have happened thousands of years ago. The human heart continues to do terrible things in the world, but we can be better as the church. What if I struggle with racism? I mean, yeah, let, me, let me just say this. One of the things you have to do is you have to recognize what the 
mindset of making yourself sovereign in your own life, whether it be racism or anything else, one of the things that happens is it will separate you from God. When you are sovereign instead of God, it will separate you from God. The other thing that it does is it completely condemns the message of the gospel that will ever come through your life. No one will ever believe you that you believe in the redemptive power of the Spirit to free all people if you want to neglect some. Completely condemns the power of the gospel within your life. And ultimately what it does over time is it hardens your heart that you no longer care. See, you can't be sovereign and God be sovereign. Somebody's got to give and God can't give. One of the reasons it hardens your hearts and what happens when it hardens your hearts is it destroys humility and it completely removes a repentant spirit, which are the essentials for a Christian. Destroys humility and a repentant spirit. If we have to recognize the root of all racism is self-worship. It is self-worship. The same self-worship is not just leveled by Christians against people of a different color. It's also leveled today by Christians against homosexuals. It's also being leveled right now as we talk about this bathroom policy. It's being leveled against all different nationalities and religious groups. How many times have we talked about Hispanics that don't belong here? How many times have we talked about all... Islam should be purged from our country. It's all the same thing. Self-worship for everyone to look like me. It's all the same. It's the desire to worship our own image and also to demand the worship from others. What if I struggle with it? Gosh, I, I wish I could give a, an easy formula. Seek to sympathize with the suffering of others, which should be a daily routine for Christians. How are others suffering? How do I empathize with them? I can't. I've already told you I can't empathize. I've not been through that. I I can't tell you what it feels like to have to not drink from the same water fountain. And and, and quite honestly, very few people today, living today, still have experienced that personally. But there are ongoing effects. you want to empathize ask yourself what would i want for my children if this was their experience and ultimately what if i struggle with this there's always a choice to love we have a choice to love finally john 13 35 says by all people by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another this is a complex, complex issue, and I've talked a lot longer than I anticipated. There's no way for me to cover all the possibilities or to do this justice. But this is what I want to leave us with today. Because I believe that we, for the most part, want to help lift up others. That's one of our core values here. Everybody is equal. But it's easy to dismiss the desire to be worshipped or the desire to be sovereign because we're not trying to keep somebody 
from riding wherever they want in the bus. We're not trying to hold back somebody because of their nationality, their skin color, or their religion. We're not doing that. But there are many places that you and I will struggle with this because this is what sin is. The focus of our worship will determine our relationships with those around us. This is what I want you to take with you today. The focus of our worship will determine our relationships with those around us. Where is the focus of our worship in our lives? I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal that to me in my life, will reveal that in my family's life, and reveal that to you in your life, and recognize that God is still sovereign, God is powerful, the Holy Spirit is alive in those who follow Him, and He is going to change not only your life, but the people around you, if you will keep God as the center of our image of worship. Would you pray? Father, God, I pray that you would in our hearts give us a heart of compassion, of grace, giving, a willingness to sacrifice for others who are hurting. I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability to see the ways that other people are suffering in the world and you would encourage us to do what we can to build bridges there. Father, you are a God who have rescued us all from our sin. You have rescued us from our need to be worshipped and yet we still struggle with those same temptations. I pray that you would be with us as a church and a community to be a people that will accept all people from all places, no matter who they are, what they look like. I pray that you would help us to be your people in a very broken and suffering place. Open our eyes to the pain of others so that we can help them to heal. And let the words of our mouths when we talk about you and the great news of your gospel, I pray that you would give us lives that can truly bring that alive for others. I thank you for the grace that you've given. I thank you for the people that you have put in positions of influence to stand up for those who are hurting. I pray that you would allow us to do the same in our own circles of influence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.